0: And we're live, but first, I want to, before I introduce this episode, we want to celebrate the proof of life. Nick, thank you for gracing us. Your bosses were kind enough to uh, let you hide in the closet for a couple hours, so thank you, uh, and thank you for coming. Uh, we've missed you, bud. Yeah, I miss you guys, too. All right, and so if you don't know, dear listener, we actually shoot the breeze with them all the time in our little uh, co-host chat. Mostly, it's inappropriate memes and Doc's funny TikTok nonsense, but I mean, sometimes we talk business. Sometimes. 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 All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. Now, you've met Katie before, so we're going to let her co-author, Mr. Derek Allen way. I hope I got that in the same language sphere. Because you got it, you can say oh, it a little
1: that's... bit faster, but otherwise, that was good.
0: I'll edit that in post. Like I'll just like mush it all together. <laughs> It'll be like the micro machine man <laughs> speaking. But uh, Derek, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Derek Sidaway.
1: I write epic fantasy with heart. I try to make it fast paced um, and feature a lot of underdogs. I live in Utah. And as you can see, we have some mountains and snow behind us still um, on a fourth generation farm. And yeah, that's about it. Married, uh, have a little girl. She's almost two and runs all over the place. So that makes it interesting when you know we're riding and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell.
0: Now you say fantasy with heart. Are we talking Indiana Jones, Aztec, cut the heart out kind of heart, or just like the feel? <laughs> A
1: little bit of that too. I, I, I get those comments right when I when <laughs> you're like, oh, your tagline. So where do you get the hearts from? But no, um, just kind of along the lines of you know rooting for an underdog and kind of I, I wouldn't say like feel good or bright blade, but just stuff that makes you cheer for the protagonist, um, makes you feel good, and keeps you glued to your seat of your pants into the pages
0: all right and if anybody asked i came up with that question first i was totally the first totally original just if they ask perfect all right katie can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers
2: it's so good to be back i love this podcast hello everyone and we we love you (laughs) katie cross i write epic magic in wild places young adult fantasy with witches and magical forests and potions and spells I have 45 fantasy books and I publish a brand new novel every month. So we have a lot of fun over here.
0: So she (laughs) doesn't sleep and she has, she has a dozen kids. So she's just so busy. Like it's just, it's the caffeine. She's not telling you, but she's actually sponsored by big coffee.
2: Uh, It's how she does it. It's in the caffeine. It is all in the caffeine. I have two kids. I live in the mountains of Montana and I sleep eight hours a night. And I'm wow. and for my son's t-ball team.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. So uh, the next the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So I think it was back in the ye olden days of 2011 at the World Spear Throwing Competition that I met um, Katie. Uh, I was pretty sure that we were going to beat her when we made it to the finals. We called her the Mighty Midget. Uh, but she was mean. She cheated. She tripped us all as we were running to the firing line. And then she won the whole damn thing. And it just it wasn't fair. I'm, I'm still bitter.
2: All of that's true. All of it's <laughs> yes.
0: All right. And through her, we obviously have found the the wonderful Derek who rips hearts out. I mean, tells heartwarming tales of adventure. Kali <laughs> You got the reference. This is why we like you, Nick. <laughs> All right, Nick.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, well, we so we are gonna we're to gonna ask it. the
0: religion questions to Derek because you've been on the show before, Katie. But since I don't want to mess it up and have Doc get mad at me, I'm passing the buck to you, Nick. <sighs> All right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, as all of our dear listeners know, we asked a religion question. All right, so here we go. No pressure. No pressure. You can do this. Can do this. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly.
0: It's okay. You don't have to be scared.
3: I, I need <laughs> a kitten. I need a kitten. So out of those oh. no three, which one... Uh,
1: So I'll I'll give you my answer and then I'm going to I'm going to probably bury myself with some potential fans and new readers with with what I'll say after. But Star Wars through and through, um, I'm kind of in the middle on Star Trek, but I I should probably admit that I got like two episodes into Firefly and and I just couldn't do it. (laughs) Firefly. Where's the (laughs) kick?
0: Katie, you said you vetted this guy. Ouch. You won't There's only like
2: someone I can do, you guys. I didn't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> we have never talked about it. They're airing
1: dirty laundry on air.
0: Oh, man. You got homework to do, kid. Homework to do. I may I try to get Serenity. back. But... Or watch Surrender. That would be acceptable. You get, a, you get the vibe.
3: Yeah. They'll catch you. Up.
0: They'll never take this guy from me. Hmm. I aim to misbehave. Outstanding. All right, Nick. Keep us going before we get all sad and depressed about his bad answer. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk. about it.
3: All right. The second set of our religion question, because we're polytheistic Game of Thrones, the Wheel of Time or Conan the Barbarian.
1: I'm going to have to go with Game of Thrones. Um, I have not read Wheel of Time. Uh, I'm kind of picky when, you know, gigantic books. It's harder to get through when you're also writing and, you know, you have children. Um, I made it about an episode into will of time and bounced on it too, but I don't want to judge the books based on the show. And yeah, I, I, um, I'm impartial to Conan, but so I'd go with game of Thrones on that one.
0: Okay. The, um, the show is okay, but I, people that are uber fans of the books tell me they, they bear no resemblance on each other. Although I will admit it was a slow start. Uh, but I was sick and had nowhere to go, but the couch. So I had time when I watched it.
1: I've gotten into um, a few shows that way
0: uh that's how i started supernatural and now i'm in like season six and i'm like what will those wacky two do now and i have to just keep watching it's like a drug um so so we here at the blasters and blades love both the fantastical and the scientific but derek what was your first love sci-fi or fantasy
1: um i'm trying to i'm trying to go back that far you know i'm not that old but uh It's a pretty close mix. The two that popped into my head, um, you know, Disney Sword in the Stone really early on. Um, Okay. I grew up on a pretty steady diet of that, you know, triple combination VHS Star Wars. So I, yeah, the remastered one, I have to tell people that because my wife, when she found out, luckily she was already married to me, but when she found out that my, you know, first experience with star wars was the remastered ones that they did back in you know 2000 or 99 or whenever she was a little disappointed you know i, I still believe that han shot first but i did not go grow up knowing that
0: so I, I i want you to know dear listeners if you're concerned i promise they went to marriage counseling he righted it himself it's okay he's not single it's all safe We calm down.
1: That was a bumpy road, but we got past it. Um, Nick
0: is like the preeminent Star Wars fanatic, I mean, fan. So, I mean, like, we just got to get him in his happy place.
3: I'll I'll show you my living room in the group chat. It's like Lucasfilm threw up in there. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And he does a little bit of cosplay, just a little bit. Um, So, what was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it the Sword in the Stone then?
1: Yeah, I remember, you know, just really like just swords in general, right? When you're your little swords or sticks or whatever, you can get a hold of them. Absolutely. Swing around it, you know, other people or trees or whatever you can.
3: Yeah. The
0: they BGX still do, do that, boys. <laughs> yeah, but we still
1: do that. Oh, yeah.
0: Mine still do. And they're 14 and 16. You'd think they grow out of it, but maybe when they're 40. Mm, probably not, but maybe. No,
3: I'm 45. If I see a really cool looking stick on the ground, that is now a sword.
0: Absolutely, I was gonna say I'm 41 and it's still true, but maybe by 50, maybe I don't know.
1: You'll, be, you'll just be using it as a cane, but it will still be a, cane. <laughs> still be a, a cane. Sword. Hey, did, did you know they the make swords
0: in canes now? Right. Yeah. I saw that on Amazon. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "How did I not have this in my life? I don't you need it, but now so I it. want it." Yeah, you might need have it. it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I think he just called me old. Dude, after
3: leg <laughs> day, I I think I need a wheelchair. So.
0: <laughs> all right, Nick, let's let's uh, get back all on track. Right. I don't want to cry. you love
3: about speculative fiction as a genre?
1: Just the, you know, the obviously the escape is awesome, but I think um, you know, a well-told story or a movie or show, whatever it is, just how it gets your imagination and creativity firing. That's uh, you know, part of what uh led me to be a writer, I think, is just watching all these different shows and you know, filling in the blanks and the what-ifs and um just kind of that situation, you know, what if. You know, sometimes it's inserting yourself into the story. Sometimes it's inserting a different character. But just the uh, the imagination and the creativity that you know you kind of get the, you get that first hit into any world that you really love and you really get immersed in, and just kind of expanding on that, even if it's just headcanon, right? Or I actually. Um, started out my writing career began doing fan fiction of Pokemon when I was probably, I don't know, 12. So kind of, kind of the same idea, right? Um, Just taking a story you love and making it your own.
3: That's what my stepson's doing right now. He's a huge Pokemon fan and, but he's like drawing it. He's so like, it's the scripts in his head, but he's just, he's outdrawn. I'm like, all right, tell me the story. And then he, there's so many new
1: Pokemon. I couldn't keep, you can't keep track anymore. yeah.
0: So you mentioned, um, you know, you put yourself in the story. So like when, if you saw a really good show that you liked or read a really good book, would you keep the story going after the novel ended or the movie ended in your head, like inserting yourself into that world? Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know, start obviously I not now in my writing career, I, I really don't think that I could point to any of my characters and say, oh yeah, that's, that's me, right? You know, you have pieces of yourselves and all of your characters, but when you, you know, starting out teenager preteen I think that's how you know me but I think a lot of writers that's really your first kind of I guess you call it your gateway drug <laughs> right you know it's just yeah. taking that story I mean like well I wanted I wanted this to happen or I wanted it to continue and it didn't and just kind of playing along those lines and thinking of those stories and then that usually leads to you know a first draft of your first story, whenever that is, is being a really poor imitation of something. And then, you know, by the time you publish stuff, hopefully it's a little more unique than that. But I, I, that was definitely my entry. And I think that's entry for a lot of writers.
0: So we this didn't come up when we did your previous interviews because uh, it was sort of something we, we threw in off of what he said. But was that true for you, Katie, putting yourself yep. in the stories you liked?
2: Yeah, I think that's how it started for me, too, is just the stories I liked. I would, in my head... Become like the main character and then experience it. And I think all these different stories and plot lines up. Like, I, I did a lot of Lord of the Rings fan fiction yeah. um, where I'd like become an elf and I would like write about Legolas and something like that. I mean, I was like, I don't know, like sixth grade, something. But so how
0: much do we have to pay to read that?
2: <laughs> no one friends. will read that.
0: <laughs>
2: you can't read that to prisoners is torture. Um, yeah, so and I even did like fan fiction about like boy bands that I liked and that kind of like in sync, I did in sync fiction. That's <laughs> wow. that's 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 a, that's a blast movie from movie, the past. Right? I, yeah. I still have copies of that one. Like
1: you're you're like amazing. the inspiration for turning red, I feel like, if you've seen that movie.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie. Oh, be- you have
1: to watch it now.
2: I will. Uh, but I think fan fiction is just, it's easier because you don't have to create the world, right? And you already have like this whole thing structured that's fantastical. So you get to just like be imaginative and and it's just less to do and decisions to make when you're so young. And I, I see that happen a lot. I have people writing fan fiction in my world that are like, I don't want to be a professional writer. I just love living in your world and I want to picture myself there a different way.
0: That's cool. All right, Nick, before we let her tell any more embarrassing stories about uh, stuff, why don't you ask the next question? Sound
2: embarrassing.
0: In <laughs> sync? Really? Yeah.
2: You claim that still? I stand by In sync. They were way better than Backstreet Boys.
0: <laughs> wow. And Doc finally joined us. Um, but uh, we, we were just talking either. about her love of In sync, but, but we're going to get back to, uh, to the interview and pretend like that didn't happen. Nick, Levin, save her. <laughs> All right, throwing out the lifeline. Here we go. Good luck. This is Wait, be what
4: crazy. happened to Nick's face?
3: Um, I sneezed really hard and lost the beard.
4: <laughs> True story. Yeah. Wow, there goes your man card.
0: Ooh. Okay. Shots fired. All, All right. right, we'll talk about that. I offline. don't lose hair
4: want... off my face when I sneeze. Just say yeah, Nick ain't in your Nick, nose.
0: we're on question eleven. Let's throw let's throw them a lifeline and let um Suska do whatever she's gonna do.
3: <laughs> All right. Uh <laughs> my lord. Welcome back, Siska. Many authors let their uh own real life experiences influence the stories that they tell. Um uh, were there any specific formidable moments that really kind of like shaped you as a storyteller?
1: I think um uh, maybe this doesn't exactly enter the question, but my my first series, Tudovar Saga, I kind of build as a medieval fantasy, but set in like a North American geography, right? So you think traditional fantasy, it's England, right? It's England with a, a bad makeup job on top of it, right? Sometimes. Uh, and I think a lot of that came from, you guys can kind of see the background behind me, but um, we have a, a small ranch in in Northern Utah and just growing up, being able to be outdoors and explore and seeing the, you know, the mountains and just kind of running around wild there. And just having a love also growing up uh, for Westerns, but also a love for fantasy and kind of, mashing those two together, right? So again, taking that geography, the flora and the fauna of, of North America, of the Americas, and inserting that into your traditional fantasy settings. I think that was a big impact on me. And it's there in almost everything I write in some degree. Sometimes there's a little more of that flavor than there are at other times, but I think it's, it's just about in almost all of my books.
0: Awesome. Okay. So... <clears throat> Um, we normally would talk about military service since we are a veteran podcast. I know, Derek, you didn't serve, but um, Katie, you're, you have mentioned in the past that you were a, a military wife of many years. Uh, I know that it greatly infect, uh, infected affected your writing journey, and uh, if they want to hear all about that, um, we'll, we'll link to episode where she was first interviewed. But do you feel like your time as a dependa affects the way you tell stories even now?
2: Oh, will call her yeah, a dependa.
0: It's not a derogatory term.
2: It totally Until it is. Derogatory. <laughs> Wait, really?
0: No one gave me that memo.
3: Dude, we have shared memes about this.
0: <laughs> Shush, I'm trying to pretend I'm innocent, okay? Because the joke um, fell flat, alright? Just let me walk out of this hole I dug. No, no this is where we wow.
2: save the joke. Don't, I don't think you get to walk out of holes that you make when Seska's here.
4: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know it's a career goal of yours, JR, but... <laughs>
3: I would love to be a dependent.
2: It was not all it's cracked up to be. I'll say that because the military just infects your life, as you said. (laughs) just infects, right? Um, I I think, yeah, absolutely. From plot lines to the way I see the world, the being a military spouse, especially because my husband um, was in um, SF through the army. That, that changed a lot of how I structured and set things up and even had characters relate to each other.
0: Okay. Um, and, and if, because I was infantry, we, we don't call those holes, we call them fighting positions because it sounds better.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Just, just back, gonna yeah. put that on. Yeah, that's right. So um, do yeah. you ever draw on people you knew from your experiences uh, in and around the army?
2: Yeah, definitely. Especially if I'm, I'm doing, um, like... I write young adult fantasy, but there's a lot of action and adventure in it. So if I have like big battles or I did a book on about a sword maker, that kind of stuff, I I tend to pull from the personalities that I knew or still know today, like from our time in the army, Uh, because there's, there's such a clash of personalities that comes into the army. You just have like this, I mean, any military branch, right? You have this like huge range and it, keeps things really fresh and interesting because you have this huge range of personalities that have to live in intense situations and deal with each other under duress. And it just, it, it keeps it really interesting. I, I like so how I, you say under duress with that. That's a very apt thing.
0: So <laughs> I, I know your, your husband isn't in the military anymore, but he occasionally still tells that windmill. So does that continue to affect the way you tell stories? Um,
2: I think so, just because the Army created him in a certain way, and that that doesn't change when you're out of the Army, right? So the issues that that we had within the Army structure were amplified because of the Army structure, but we continue to have them today. They're just not under as much pressure, depending on what else is going on
0: okay and uh we've talked about how your time as a as a military dependent affects the way you create content but what about how you engage with it and reader as a consumer a reader a viewer do you think when you watch shows you watch them differently now because of that experience or read books
2: yeah definitely um oh yes so romance is like the worst right um i can't read romance with any like special forces character whether it's a seal or like whatever else i just can't like i can't <laughs> do that and then you know like if we're watching any sort of like battle scene or fight scene um my husband'll just roll his eyes and debunk it it is helpful in my writing cuz if I have like I had a character that was grappling with another character and I was like, OK, she's a woman that's about this size and she's going to be attacking a guy about this size. So he actually had me like climb on his back, pretend I had a sword. Like what angle would your neck be if I'm slicing your jugular? Like how hard would this be? So that's I was like, awesome, We're like reenacting because my husband does jujitsu, too. Um, and he did you know he won the combatives tournament and and all that kind of stuff so he's really great that stuff because the army set him up that way and so you know I'll, I'll have him do that or like we'll be watching a fight and he'll he'll like roll his eyes and debunk it or um, that that kind of stuff just you don't ever escape that <laughs>
0: right? like, oh, you'll get
2: what the army teaches you. I, I
0: call it the Barbie test if the body doesn't move in the ways like the little action figures do. Cause sometimes I read scenes in, in all kinds of genres and I'm like, did they just lose track of where the bodies were? Cause I, I'm pretty sure even contortionists couldn't do that.
4: I will let me explain something about why I was giggling about romance, is I remember my time in the service and watching soldiers flirt is kind of like watching high school or junior high males flirt. It's about yeah. the same maturity level.
2: Yes. Hey, Doc,
0: what's your MOS?
2: Even as like adults, 68 right, whiskey, we'd bitch. Be, we'd be like at these team like parties, like the team would get together for a Christmas party and then all of them would get drunk and they're all like typically type A alpha males, which romance totally glorifies and they're, frankly assholes and then they're like all drunk so like one of them was dressing up as santa and he was like sloshed so there was like a (laughs) seven-year-old gonna sit on his lap and he is gone like three sheets to the wind like (laughs) awful crap it's just like nope and they're so awkward and yeah they yeah they're so highly skilled they're really they're so highly skilled and
4: then they go get to this point where they're like hey sleep with me i bet you won't do it is a pickup line they're like thirteen. What's years wrong with old. that? That's a good one. Right.
0: <laughs> I mean, you, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take, Doc. Michael I'm just saying.
4: Said that. You
0: know yep. what? So I so, never uh, missed
4: any of my shots.
0: Yeah, <laughs> okay.
3: you're
0: a woman. That's yeah. So that's not,
3: so that's, that, Katie, that's not the flex you think it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Katie, this this all uh, you know. You talked about wanting to get things right in the details. So, the first book I ever wrote, I had to write a combat scene that involved a sword. And so I wrote the scene, sent it to the publisher and he's like, hey, JR, I don't think that body works the way you think it does. You need to do a little bit of research on that and and fix that one scene. So I called my aunt, who's an ER nurse, because, you know, nurses know things about the body. And we're talking about what would happen if you realistically decapitated a head. And suddenly everyone at the Starbucks is sort of scooting away from me and the cops were called. It was a whole thing. And and the funny thing was the cop, when he showed up, he's like, "Uh, if you're not on at least one government watch list as an author, you're not doing it Right. It's like, my wife writes. I'm like, oh, really? Anything i read? And he turned red, so I'm pretty sure she writes smut.
2: <laughs> He's like, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah,
0: he sort of left after that, so I'm like, yeah, okay. But yeah, so I can appreciate, you know, you having to get those details right. It's important, though. And readers notice.
2: They do. They
0: do. All right, Doc. Since you are here, you get to ask um, them both this time the fandom questions. Are you ready for that?
4: I am ready for that. So... What is have you had sorry, my brain. Um Take two.
1: action.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so have you had any fun characters from any of your books be cosplayed? Um
2: have you ha- seen any or done any cosplays of your own characters? Um I'll go, go for first. it, Katie. Seska coughed because she has seen that I've done this. <laughs> I've cosplayed my character, Bianca, several times. That's been really fun. I got the wig. We did it at Dragon Con. It was a lot of fun. I've had other people cosplay my characters. I had Bianca's one of my main characters. She was cosplayed. Her like, librarian-esque best friend, Lita, was cosplayed at a con I went to in January at Mars Con. And then Bianca's grandfather, Martin, was cosplayed at a con. Um, people came to that was really fun I haven't dressed up as anyone but Bianca yet because she's sort of the easiest to, to cosplay for but I have a couple others in my characters in mind that I'm excited about
0: is that how about a- you
2: um,
0: my I- answer is no and no it's not a very good one <laughs> you, you really should cosplay yourself so that way you can like clarify that as a yes Right? Like, oh, I totally cosplayed Bob from that book
4: so, what was it like the first time somebody asked you to sign a book, autograph a book?
1: Oh man, um, I guess a little surreal, right? I think you you kind of battle that imposter syndrome when you do that. Like, this is awesome. I'm going to do it, but at the same time, you're like, why does this person want me to sign this book? And like, and you don't want to like ruin it for them because you know they think it's cool and it's awesome you know, shout out to my grandma. Right. But <laughs> um, <laughs> just kidding. I honestly don't remember who it was, but so sorry, whoever you were, you know, they say you never forget your first, but I guess in this case, maybe it's a little different, but yeah, I think it's just a a mix of like, you're like, well, I've, I've kind of taken that first step. And at the same time you got, you kind of have that imposter syndrome, I'm like, okay, I guess, but, um, definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely one of those steps I think you take as an author where you're like, Okay, this, you know, I I wrote this book and it's in my hands, and someone wants me to autograph it, which is pretty cool. Okay. Um,
2: I, I think for me, the first time it happened, I was I was super excited, but I was mostly like, I got to make sure this is like really fun for them. Like, they had brought a book um, all the way to a con where I had a table, and they're like, I saw online that you're coming, and I got your email, so she like pulled all of these books out of her bag and had them ready for me to sign, and so. I was just like, how can I make this super special for her? You know, so I made sure like I, I wrote notes and then we took a picture and I talked to her about it and um, invited her into like some of my uh, groups where my other fans meet and stuff. And, and later I was like, that's so, it's so fun when they bring books. Like it's, it's so fun that they have them existing and they're so excited to meet you that they'll, they'll go through kind of the discomfort of lugging books around to meet you, especially at a con with like a big, Oh coin. yeah, no. Really cool. That's,
4: that's some serious dedication I think that's wonderful so uh this is my next question and I am really curious have you had any fun or crazy weird fan interactions you'd be willing to share with us
2: I had one that just happened at fantasy I was a special guest at fantasy in Durham and I had a reader find out I was coming and I was the special guest. So she bought a ticket from Wisconsin and she flew down. She'd never traveled by herself before, but she really wanted to come and meet me in person. So she flew down. She carried on 26 pounds of books. Oh my God. She had bought like, I think almost all of my paperbacks and she showed up and was like, I'm here. And I was like, Oh my gosh, cool. Like, it's so good to meet you in person. I gave her a big hug. And then I found out the full extent of it because she hadn't told me everything. She, like, bought an extra suitcase to, like, bring all the books. She brought all of them. I have a picture. There's this huge stack that I just sat there and signed. And then she's like, I'm here the whole time. And I was like, Well, do you, like, love cons? And she's like, No, I've never been to one. And I was like, Do you like North Carolina? And she's like, I don't know. I've never been here. I've never traveled by myself. And I was like, why are you here <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> why are you
2: here? she was like to meet you i came for you Aww. And I was like, oh my gosh so then i was i saying? that whole time i was like we got to make this super special so i ended up like being like well come help behind the table because <laughs> i had <laughs> so many panels i was running to and uh, my assistant samantha had taken time off work to, to work the con for me and she had to like have bathroom breaks and so <laughs> Um, Karen is my my fan's name she came to all of my panels and then she would like tell me she would like take videos and share them for me and then she would help and then I had to go get dressed up as Bianca and go to this kind of like raunchy panel and I I didn't realize but my dress like tied up in the back so I was like can you come tie me up in my in my suite and she's like sure so she ended up just like hanging out with me the whole con and like following me around and getting me dressed and so i jokingly called her mom and um i like had i was going out to dinner with some people (laughs) karen is the real mvp and so i brought her like some barbecue back and she was she was amazing it was it was the funnest experience and now when i get to see her it's just a blast so i'm gonna give you some
0: some unsolicited advice before we let Derek answer. And as you're, you're not financial advisor, I'm just telling you, spend it all in one place. Because if she bought that many books, I'm just saying, splurge, get a Diet Coke. <laughs> 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 uh, all right, Derek, I'm sorry I interrupted, but you get to answer that question too. Weird or funny interactions.
1: So I, first, I think I need to go back to my previous question just really briefly so I don't sound like, you know, a soulless, heartless jerk. Um, I do remember the first person who signed up for my email newsletter that was not somebody I knew, and that was a really cool experience. So similar to the last question, but I did want to call that out. Um, just like, wow, there's someone that wants to get emails from me that's not related to me. You know, this is kind of a wild experience. But, um I don't have a story as good as Katie's, but one that happened recently that I thought was kind of wild that was out there was, um, so I'm doing some uh, kind of story consulting work for this YouTuber who just launched a a Kickstarter for a a trading card game. And, you know, I reached out to him kind of a cold email. I was like, hey, I'd love to work on this. And we started working together. And about three or four months in, he sends me this message out of nowhere as we're working together. And he's like, Dude, I just talked to like my production designer and mentioned your name that we were working together, and he said his college roommate was absolutely feral for your books, and he used the word feral. And i was like, <laughs> and I'm like, like which ones? And I was like, was it the griffin? And he's like, it was the griffin something. I'm like, the griffin writers trilogy. Because this whole time I'm thinking like, okay, he's got to be mistaking me for somebody else, right? He's like, no, those were the books. His roommate was insane about those, and I'm like, that was a moment for me where it was like. You know, it's not the same as seeing your books in the wild, but it was like the fourth degree of separation, right? And someone was like, I've read your book. Totally books. counts. They love them. So, yeah, that Derek, was
2: awesome. yeah. Derek and I had a table together at Salt Lake City Fan and you had a ton of people coming up, and you're like, I just backed your Kickstarter. And you had no idea who they were. There was a right. bunch of people who'd walk by and be like, Hey, I just backed that Kickstarter. He's like, Sweet.
1: <laughs> that was super fun, too. Just he like, was like giving
2: them updates <laughs> and no idea who they were. That was really cool. Yeah,
1: that nice, was super nice. cool. Just People coming out and we're like, oh, yeah, back that Kickstarter!" It's like, sweet.
2: You're like, thanks. Yeah. Like, thanks. Have so, another
0: look, right? Uh, because Doc was a little flustered, um, we, we've skipped an important question. So have you guys seen any of your books out in the wild? And if the answer is no, because, you know, in the age of digital media, you're not peering over everyone's shoulder. Well, I hope not. I mean, I do, but then they call the cops and it's the whole thing. Uh, Jared but is if
4: really friendly with his cops. Can you tell?
0: I mean, it's not I helped one. a lot of them do their VA claim. So I got a little bit of get out of jail free card. Not a whole lot, but I mean, it won't get me out of a speeding ticket. But anyway, so uh, if you haven't had somebody like seen your book out in the wild where someone's actually just organically reading it, what do you think your reaction to that will be? And right, we'll let Derek just, go. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead,
2: Derek.
1: I, I, I kind of war between like, do I want to go up to them and be like, hey, I wrote that right? Because like, I, I feel like that's a super awkward thing to do. So I'll, I'd probably just I don't know just take a mental photo because it's also kind of weird if you just start taking pictures of random people right but she's like oh that was a, that was a cool thing I I would love to do the other things selfishly but I'd also want to kind of play it cool and not be like yeah this creepy author I read his book and then he just showed up I don't know where and you know started talking to me and taking my picture so I I don't want to be that guy or have that interaction but I think that would be super awesome to see.
0: Nick and I have the t-shirt that says that guy and it's got an arrow pointing at our face. It's we're, we're totally that guy. <laughs> what about you, Katie? What what do you think your reaction's going to be since you said it hadn't happened yet?
2: Oh, I have this planned out. So it's going to happen. It, my time is coming, right? It's hard because like not a lot of people read paperbacks anymore, but I'm convinced it's going to be in an airport and I'll be traveling to a con or something and I will probably take a picture of them without them noticing cuz I don't care if it's creepy. It's a big deal. But I totally plan it. <laughs> Him. and just being like hey what do you think about that book and just just hearing what they say and then deciding from there <laughs> like uh, i'll probably talk to them and i honestly just don't want them to know who i am i just want to talk to them about the book and just totally see what this random person thinks it's gonna be it's gonna be epic i'm excited about it
0: we'll just let N- you borrow nick's badge and then you'll be like it's okay i'm an air marshal just you'll <laughs> never know it'll be okay nick yeah, will nobody, never miss nobody, his badge.
2: nobody nobody
3: reads the badge anyway
0: yeah, <laughs> I've seen enough Supernatural. I know if you just flash it in people's face, they do whatever you tell them to.
3: Yeah, and then you get that one person who's like, oh, okay, I see the badge. I need to see the creds too with your picture on it. I'm like, all right,
0: you're still going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. All right, speaking of jail, you get to ask them about their uh, back catalog, which I hear they wrote while they were in jail. True story.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, Supermax, I believe, right? Yeah. You already asked the question. All right. We're going to start with you, Derek. (laughs) Don't talk over me. (laughs) We're going to start with you, Derek. Um, let's talk about your body of work. Give us the reader digest of your, uh, of your, of your works. Now I just used that word twice and I feel silly.
1: All good. So yeah. Um, pretty even mix of, you know, I've got some YA fantasy, like I mentioned, my Our Saga series. I don't push it too much because it's got like three books out there. And it's one of those that I'm going to get back to someday, but haven't. And that, you know, I don't want to be that guy again, that guy reference again. So all of my other stuff is finished or I'm actively working to finish it. I need to say that up front. Um, but I probably one of my most well-known trilogies is the Griffin writers trilogy that I did. It's kind of uh, YA epic fantasy. A, a lot of themes in, in my books are mythical creatures and kind of uh, just magic animal companions, things like that. Also did a couple of uh, lit RPG books that were that were pretty fun to do. Um, some progression fantasy. Um, and then, yeah, now we're working on uh, Spring for Spears that we just put out, which also kind of follows that mythical creature theme. Um, yeah, I've got Geez, I, I can't keep track. About half as many as Katie. we got 16, 17 books out, a um, couple of anthologies. And yeah, they're they're all firmly in, other than a couple of the, the lit RPG books, they're all firmly in kind of the epic fantasy realm. And kind of PG-13, you know, family-friendly for everybody, but kind of still has some action and a, a little bit of blood and guts, right? Yeah. Nice. All that
3: right. works. Katie, your turn.
2: Uh, so I mostly write young adult fantasy I did a brief stint in contemporary romance but I don't do that anymore so the all of my works now are in young adult fantasy and I write in the world of Alcara so I have my total collection is 65 books with my contemporary romance and then 45 of those ish I don't know I lose track um are fantasy (laughs) and they're all set within the world of Alcara and they're spread across six different series so you can um like read them in chronological or like publishing order or chronological order, and they're all some of the characters kind of intertwine uh, with with other stories.
4: So, I really is enjoy there it. any, it's a fun series?
0: Is there anywhere on your website where it has like both reading order options, like uh, chronological order and publishing order, for your readers to determine?
2: I have a chronological order, like I have a suggested reading order. So, if you go to Katie Cross Books on the top menu, it says suggested reading order. Because I, it's a bit Star Warsy in, in that I I really write books that my readers are requesting, and so sometimes I'll I'll have like a myth or a legend in one of my novels, and then the readers will say, "Well, we want that myth or legend to have its own book," and so I'll be like, "Okay," and so I'll I'll write that book, but then it doesn't really make sense in context of the series that I'm publishing, and so I have a suggested reading order. So it'll be like maximum enjoyment. You can just like start at the top and read your way down. And that's like the most, that's the best way to read in the world of Alcara.
0: Okay. And so uh, I will have to correct the record. Um, you cannot say it's Star Warsian if you listen to your readers and your your consumers, because Star Wars doesn't do that.
4: No, that's um, how you always know if they're a really big Star Wars fan. They're the ones crying when they leave the movie theater
0: yeah but so one of the things i like that you do is you're sort of training an audience that amazon isn't the only place you can buy books i know doc is huge about like yes. diversifying markets it's it's sort of her shtick if you listen to even one episode of the podcast and you sell a lot of yours on your website which i think is kind of cool so
2: yeah i i 75 percent of my revenue comes from my website i think that's, that's awesome and i so, love the fact that it's not burns and noble uh, not so, not, for Amazon. not Amazon. I love Friends and so, uh,
0: Derek and I are going to ask <laughs> you the sincere and heartfelt question. But do you mind taking a decade off writing so we can catch up? No. No, <laughs> she's like no heartless. Here,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: get all faster. right. Get faster. Apparently, so this is the part where I would normally tell you we're going to shamelessly show for the man, but we're shilling for the woman today. So we're going to play that commercial interlude.
2: Hey there. This is author Katie Cross. I'm coming at you with an offer for a best-selling fantasy audiobook titled Flame, and it's totally for free. Here's a little bit more about it. Dragon servants Sana and Isadora Spence live deep in Leadham Wood, where persnickety dragons and wars on the borders are the least of their worries. Thanks to years of simmering tension, the Hidden Village is destined to crack, and soon. Sana's deep love for the giant beast causes her to make an irreversible mistake— while Isadora's disinterest in the dragons leads her to a fateful decision that will change the course of the entire world. Can the sisters prevent everything they know from falling apart? Or do they allow it to break and pave the way for new growth? Join the beloved sister witches in Flame, the first book in the Dragon Master trilogy. Just go to www.katiecrossbooks.com forward slash flame dash audiobook to get your free copy today.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, in the side chat, Derek is is lamenting at uh, Katie's being so multi talented. She could also be an audiobook narrator. I have said the same thing when I listened. It's just not fair. She's so good at all the things. It's- That's why we asked her to take like that decade off. That she's just like, like, no.
2: Narrating is so fun. That's been a really that was a surprisingly fun venture.
0: Yeah, you got to have the right the right chops for it, and I just don't. <laughs> I wish, but I don't. JR so, would
4: forget what he was doing halfway through and think he's ordering a pizza.
0: And and anyone who's <laughs> and heard me like try to do the entries. voices. Anyone who's heard me try to do voices is just like, yeah, JR, don't quit your day job. I actually <laughs> did jokingly, we did a voice read on something for a commercial uh before we pre-recorded them. And that was the the number one uh letter that we got. I got twenty-seven letters telling me to just keep writing uh that week to the podcast email. <laughs> they like Nick though, so it's a win. Apparently, they like
4: Nick. Are you sure?
0: Well, they like yeah. his voices. Yeah. yeah. Oh, his
4: voices are pretty funny. Kind of so, like his faces right
0: now. Uh, be nice. Be nice. So, thank you for speaking. <laughs> thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. See, this is why we do this part live because the mistakes are part of what makes it fun. We had color, adventure, ambiance. See, I know the big words, Doc. Uh, but thank you for sticking with us through that commercial Did you interlude. you look them
4: up and put them on flashcards next to your monitor?
0: Absolutely. How'd you know? Wait, are you spying on me?
2: <laughs> Your mind. Of everyone, me. it's you she was
0: spying on. Let's let's dive right in. So this is for both of you from here on out because this is about the book that brought us here. So what was the uh the the creation of this universe how did this happen like we're here to talk about a spring for spears which is a tongue twister which i dig like where did the premise for this universe come from were you like breathing too much low oxygen air on the top of that mountain Derek? uh were you just running on caffeine katie like what's the story of this this universe old pizza old pizza all all of
1: the above combined together caffeine little air old pizza no um gosh i'm trying to think back um I, I would Here's say the, the original, original premise. So a little bit of backstory. Um, Katie and I met when she was putting out a book called Flame, which all of you may have just barely heard about. Right. And that was when I was releasing the first book in my Griffin Writers Trilogy. So I reached out to her and said, hey, you know, um, you're writing about dragons and people writing dragons and I'm writing about griffins and people writing griffins. Maybe we could, you know, do a little swap between our readers. So we we read each other's books, and um, you know our, our writing styles were similar, I I think, and kind of in the same vein. And we ended up doing a little cross promotion when we had both of those launches. And then uh, the the premise for Spring for Spears in this series kind of goes back to one of the influences was, was uh, Game of Thrones. You know, when when George R. R. Martin's like the the original premise for Game of Thrones was these kids finding these dire wolves right in the in the snow and. I, I, I don't know how he got the premise out of that, because that's like literally has nothing else to do hardly with the rest of the story, at least in my opinion. So I, I was kind of like, well, it'd be cool to have a story where, you know, people ride around on giant wolves and giant wolves are actually a thing and part of the plot. And, uh, you know, I, Princess Mononoke. It's right. Awesome yeah. movie. Have seen that one. That's a good one. Um, you can't
4: ride around on wolves without talking about it.
1: And the mask, right? You got to have the mask, too. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. No, actually, when I announced to my readers, I inadvertently shared it was like a random Princess Mononoke okay, fan art pick of this like wolf riding girl. People are like, I'm like, yeah, this is a hint about what I'm writing next. And they saw that and they're like, so you're doing like some anime inspired book? I'm like, well, no, maybe a little more literal in the picture than that. But anyway, um, long story short, I reached out to Katie and said, "Hey, we write books that are kind of alike. You know, what do you think about co-authoring this book together?" and and she said yes and we we kind of made it our own from there, a lot of back and forth on the world and I'll let her talk about kind of the planning we did and some things like that, but it just kind of happened.
2: Yeah, I I mean, this was kind of years in the making. I feel like it, it was very much we kind of had like an online email relationship where we were kind of sharing each other's stuff back and forth and we might have met on a Zoom call once or something but I don't think Derek appreciates what a big deal it is that I said, "Yeah, sure, I'll co-write with you because I get approached a lot and I just always say no because I'm usually so focused on my books, but um Derek was super patient and that I was like, "If I'm going to do this with you, like we have to do it in a very specific strategic way uh, jr was teasing me about i'm extremely intentional with my writing and my career and so i just he loved first drafting i love editing so we from the beginning set it up a certain way and i was like i will not be in charge of royalty share like i'm not going to be paying you money for the rest of my life so if you want to do this with me there are things that we have to set up and he was really like okay like he was pretty flexible about it and our our um, readership had such great crossover that I wouldn't have said yes if his books hadn't done so well with my readers because my readers were asking for more of his books because they liked it so without that I would never have said yes to because I've never said yes to anyone else and I've had a lot of people ask I've
4: seen people very politely asking you very politely be like haha no
0: so it's almost like
4: yeah, it's like watching that woman who's really used to guys asking her out on a date and being like, I'm sorry, I'm married. And you do it with such beautiful grace. Oh, good. That like, they're like, did I just get told no? I what just happened here. Yes, you did. Now go along.
0: <laughs> so is this, um, since you, you gave us a little bit of the origin story and your universe has had some similarities, is this in either one of your universes or is it a new thing? That's well,
2: like, that's <laughs> a great story. Oh, I feel so bad about this.
1: No, this is, uh, this is kind of a funny story. So I picked it as okay. It's actually uh, set in the world of my two of our books. And, and we, so you have to understand, we started talking about this book in 2019, pre COVID, maybe 18. And like, it's a, it's a, like we say in the, the, the testament to how much we love this story. I think that it, that we published it because we started this in 2019 and we published it a week ago, today. So,
2: yeah, basically, four
1: years later. Me. But um, no. So we we had talked early on, and I had mentioned uh, I actually reached out her first, said, you know, do you want to co-author a book in my um, Griffin Writers' World? I think you know we we'd already talked about how our writing styles are similar and our fans kind of like each other's books. And she was like, no, I'm not really interested in playing in someone else's world. And I said, somehow I pitched her on writing in this other world, and um, you know, two years later we were having a conversation one day and Katie's like, wait, this is in one of your existing worlds. And, you know, we kind of had that moment where I thought we talked about that. Right. And, um, and we're both really good about, you know, it's definitely a a relationship to co-write with someone. And we never, you know, anytime we've had like things that we've been concerned about, we both just kind of worked it out. Right. But that was a moment where we are like, huh, We're not sure how we got here, but we should probably do something about this. So we ended up doing a pretty extensive rewrite about six months ago, and I ended up taking it out of that world, and we put it in our own world that's kind of shared, Um, and that's kind of our sandbox between the two of us. You know, without any background or or baggage or other books in the world to kind of make what we want of it. So that's been a fun experience too, even if it did require a pretty big rewrite when the book was done.
2: Der- Derek is being very gracious so what happened was I didn't realize So I knew it wasn't in Tutovar but I didn't realize it had tied as some of his other books as we had finalized it right so I had he did the first draft I did the second I deleted like 30,000 words and he was Ooh. like gone and I'm gonna like,
0: need a moment that just hurts me and I didn't even write them it well, was like still
2: like 75,000 words right so to me I was like this just ain't going to fly for my readers because it just the pacing needed help. So I was like, please don't take this personal and don't kill me. But I deleted 30,000. He was like, ouch. He like took in stride. But then when I found that out, I just said that can't work for our contract because that's just too messy. And I have um, producers that I work with in LA constantly. And I had just told them when we were doing one of our quarterly updates um, with some other projects that, that they have with me. I said, Hey, I'm launching. He's like, well, what else do you have coming out anyway? And I was like, well, I have this Wolf song saga. The first book's coming out. This is the premise. He's like, shoot me manuscript. I want to see it. And so I said to Derek, I was like, that's when I found out like week, I can't, I can't give this the juice that I have if it's in your world, because that is so ugly with contracts and rights and negotiations and then like I can't like I can't bring the full power that I have to this and he's like well we'll we're gonna have to just do new world so I said so we talked about it and we decided let's just make this world its own thing and then whenever we want to write books together we just set it in this world and that's all it ever is and there's a 50 50 so I think it's actually Derek owns most of the rights because I also said I don't I like freedom is my main value. So I'm like, I don't want to be tied to paying someone royalties the rest of my life. So he's the publisher. um, But we own equal rights for the copyright. So Derek had to then rewrite like the book, like you can't just like find and replace names, right? Like you have to, he had to go back through in an additional draft and like rename everything and make decisions on names and like stuff. So it was a lot of work for him. But in the end, it was very beneficial for the long term health of the world and the readers, because I said, this is going to be too confusing for our readers. And I want this to be really easy and a different sort of escape for them. So how do we set our readers up for success? And that's what we ended up doing.
1: So it was maybe to, to recap all the things this book, this poor book survived, right? It was like the redheaded stepchild for a little while. So I pitched the idea to Katie and like I said, 2019 and she was like, cool, let's do it. And I wrote the the outline and pretty much a first draft and we had all these meetings to go over the, the We'd story. We'd wake up, up at five story. in the
2: morning right. and do an hour on zoom at five in the morning before either of us had to like go take care of kids or work to write. So we did the outline together, the three act structure.
1: And then I, um, I kind of had this unique situation where I got the rights back to, uh, a series that I'd basically just outlined in for a, for a, another publishing company and they had a writer write it. And they ended up closing down their fantasy arm and they just said, hey, do you want the rights for this? You know, they're free. We'll sign them over to you. And so we, ha- I had two finished books there and I told Katie, hey, it's going to take me like a month, but we're going to do, I'm working, I have one other co-author that I do books with. I said, we're going to do a quick treatment on these these other two books and get them out and then I'll be right back into it. Well, those turned into like two full-fledged rewrites through COVID in 2020. And then we got back to this in 2021 and finished it in 2022. And that was when we said, okay, we're going to figure out this world issue. So this- um, And, and uh,
2: contract. I put him through a lot of red lines in the contract. <laughs> People are going to listen and just be like, I don't want to with Katie. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty intense, but I made him red line contracts. So we had a We had a slow production while I went
0: back and forth with the contract on it. So in your defense though, where
4: contracts can get really messy with their vague in the wrong ways, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So So, anybody that
0: doesn't understand intellectual mm -hmm. property law contracts, you're not writing it. Like if I'm writing with somebody, I like them enough that I'm not worried they're going to rob me blind. You're writing it because at some point in time, you might get abducted by aliens and your offspring are going to inherit your worlds and they might want to do something with it. So the contract is to protect the follow on people, because if you don't trust them enough that, that it's an issue with them, you probably just shouldn't do business with them. Yep. For yeah. sure. Um, so that that's not uh, that's not too bad. And uh, if it makes you feel any better, your poor book, uh, the infantry taught Nick and I one thing and it's the abuse makes us stronger. <laughs>
3: that's so true. Hit me harder, Daddy. Was- I mean, drill sergeants. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we don't want you to feel left out, Doc, but we're on question 24. And that's you.
4: I know we're on question 24. Thank you. I can count. Oh uh, you sure? um, So w- we've talked a bit, but what is the age range really for this series?
2: Um, I would say... The readers that I have reading it right now are most of my readers are 50 and above like I write YA fantasy but most of my readers are over 50 so that's the people that are buying right now but um, this is definitely something that like teenage kids could really get into and it would be safe so both of us have a pretty clean brand I mean there's action adventure and battles and that kind of stuff but we don't use like swear words from our current world because those are fantasy worlds and we don't really have sex and that kind of stuff so but there's no uh
4: laurel k hamilton moments yeah. no.
2: i that love her books but the still scary. they're not the ones i'm going to hand a teenager yes and and that's just not ever the really the theme that we write to anyway right like it's it's really more overcoming underdog connection like i i i write dragons right so it's about that like human beast connection and we're doing that with astrid and giant wolves um so i i think anyone over 10 could honestly read these depending on your reader i have a really advanced seven-year-old that that is reading books above his age and by the time he's 10 he'll easily be devouring mine so just depending on the age but most people reading the book are probably over 40 or 50. (laughs)
4: So let's talk about this cover, because this is a very different cover for you. And I love it, but it it is such a neat cover. So who picked the cover artist?
1: We we went back and the cover was kind of an extension of the story, right? We were originally going to work with Katie's designer, then i can't even remember i think she her queue was full or she wanted to step back from doing covers but whatever reason um uh, the cover designer her name's virginia mclean she's also an author so just give her a quick shout out um i just starting work started working with her to do formatting and i said to katie I think I've found someone, you know, because finding a cover designer, sometimes it's a touch and go thing. And right. You you see the stuff on their page and then you're not sure if you're going to get the same thing. Um, so, yeah, we started working with Virginia and like the book, the cover went through quite a few revisions. Um, both Katie and I were pretty opinionated on a lot of tweaks, but just overall kind of style and theme. And yeah, Katie, do you want to talk a little bit about how we got to where we got with this cover?
2: Yeah, so. I, I, Virginia was a delight to work with. I was nervous because I've really worked with basic, like I have the same cover designer for all 65 of my books. Right. So Jenny and I have this amazing process where I say, here's the title. Here's like two sentences, go crazy. She sends me something and I'm like, I love it. No changes. And that's literally been our relationship because she is incredible. Like she's so incredible. So I was nervous doing this. Cause like, what do normal people do? I don't know. Because Jenny and I have such a close relationship. But Virginia, um, she really just, I, I was really frank with her. I was like, I'm really tied into my current designer. We're not able to use her because I'm already like giving her so much work. I can't, I just can't ask this of her. Right. And I thought it would be better to brand away from Alcara which is my fantasy world and have a different feel for this one because I felt for the reader it would be a like a reader could look at this and still feel like it's a Katie Cross book because epic magic and wild places are what I write in but it still has a different feel and it's very drawing so I wanted the reader experience to be preserved that way so they still felt that trust when they saw the book um, and knew that it was like I was a part of it, but it didn't feel like Alcara because I don't feel that would represent it very well for the reader. So Virginia supplied us with a bunch of different like silhouettes. I can't remember the whole process to be honest, but really I think a lot of our tweaks um, came in with the title banner. So those on the podcast that can't see our cover has like a a, a grayish white background and then it's a silhouette of a of a young like girl. Well it's like a woman, like young woman really standing with a spear and a shield and a big wolf next to her. And the silhouette is like it's mount like colored mountains in the distance. But because of the background and the way we wanted the silhouette to stand out, the title a spring for spear sort of blends in. And so we were trying to figure out really the the text layout and the font. And that we kind of went back and forth on a little bit. But once we landed, um, we landed like once we were able to kind of put a vignette on it, if you look at it, um, there's a little bit of like a shadow around it. So it highlights the girl and sphere, but also it's a pretty white book cover. So it would have faded into Amazon. <laughs> like you would just see the silhouette on Amazon. I was like, that's going to get lost. We have to figure this out. So. It was a bigger process than I'm used to, but I think Virginia totally proved herself over and over, and I've heard nothing but amazing things. I was even running ads to my audience to have them choose, which they liked better, and this was the one that everyone chose, hands down.
0: It has that trad pub vibe that you see with fantasy novels, but it also doesn't suck, and I don't hate it, so I would say you (laughs) nailed it.
2: Well, JR, you're the only one we're trying to please, so I'm so happy to hear this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The colorblind guy in the back, that's the one everybody's like, we want him to like our covers.
2: I mean,
4: it is, I guess that makes it very ADA friendly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wait, Doc, that wasn't nice. That took me a second. Yeah, dude.
2: That's why I was laughing.
0: (sighs) It's okay. They're not laughing at me, dude. Derek, they're not laughing at me. They're laughing with me. That's what I tell myself, okay? It helps. No, no, no.
4: junior we're laughing with the voices in your head. We're all laughing at you, you, you but we are are laughing with the voices in your head.
0: Speaking of the voices in my head, uh, this is going to be a horrible segue, but for either one of you, what do you think the 30-second elevator pitch for this novel would be?
2: Oh, that's (laughs) fair.
1: All right. I, I don't know if I have a 30-second version, but kind of the 10-second the version maybe would be a you know, uh, coming-of-age story set in a epic fantasy world, and you've got warriors who ride giant wolves into battle. That, that's basically it, right? And there's a lot of magic and intrigue and We've we've really only scratched the surface in this first book of what's going on in the world and how magic works and everything, but basically it comes down to yeah, kind of batty warriors riding giant wolves into battle and doing awesome things.
0: Yeah. So how big are these wolves for comparison? Like someone trying to visualize a standard human, which is probably what five eight ish. H- how tall is a wolf compared to them that it's going to support them? Are, are they like horse sized then?
2: Oh my gosh, I hate to do this so much, but. I would compare him to the twilight werewolves, like in size, you know, like the big- sparkles. so I would
4: suggest you compare them to princess Mononoke because those are pretty big wolves. And to be honest, they're probably about the same size, but then you don't. Or,
0: or the them. the other one is the Russian caucus dogs, which are You'll like litter. bred. The Russian caucus dogs were bred to hunt down bears. So they are huge. Oh. Uh, rumor has <laughs> it. Cujo was in inspired by those
2: (laughs) yeah so the problem with our cover is we were like well we need the wolf to be a lot bigger so we're really looking at wolves that are probably more like astrid's shoulder like they ride them like horses right so these are because when we were developing the story i was like. Derek, what do these giant wolves eat? I mean, it's like a bison that's a carnivore, right? Because they're just so big. I was like, how do we create a world that has enough food where they live to support, like, how many wolves are there? Like, that was something that we had to really narrow down. Like, how many wolves are there? How often do they eat? I mean, they are these giant, huge wolves. And then in the cover, we debated, like, in the cover, it's the a puppy comes to it's- her hip. But that actually works for the story because of what happens with Astrid. So... Yeah. It's in a roundabout way to answer that question. They're, they're pretty big. I mean, at least shoulder height and, and enough that you have enough ballast that you can ride them like a horse, like you would a horse.
1: It's kind of set in this, um, I don't want to say like post ice age world, but you know, as far as like geography and wildlife, there's a lot of big things for these big wolves to eat. Right. I think we have the, Katie might have cut this because she cut 30,000 words, so there's a fair chance <laughs> to cut this, but I, I actually have no idea if it's in there or not, but we ha- kind of had this tongue-in-cheek line where um, one of the guys, or I think, I think it might be Astrid, the protagonist, says something about everything being bigger in the North. I think that might have been cut, but it's it's kind of true for the animals, and um, yeah. we'll leave it there. Did so she borrowed right, so- from Texas?
0: So I was going to make an inappropriate joke, but their audience is family friendly. So Nick, you're going to ask question 27 instead. Is there an inappropriate joke in question 27? Oh no, no that's no, why you're going to move on and save me from myself.
1: <laughs>
0: All
3: right. Well, tell us about what makes your series special.
1: Do you want to go? I think,
2: I think it's the uh, connection that that. The Astrid has with her wolf, right? And there's some unexpected twists and turns that happens with Astrid and her wolf as they as they find each other. People who love that fantasy readers who love that like dragon connection with their writer like Anne McCaffrey and even Aragon. Like when you get those people, we're providing that with an animal that you just don't see it with as much, like this giant wolf, right? And it's embedded into the culture of her tribe. She lives in the Dark Dales and they're nomads and it's really like a coming of age event for her to bond with her amarak wolf and of course it doesn't happen the way it's supposed to so it's a story that because the world is so fresh because i made i made oh yeah it's wolfmores darkdales was before the revision this Cancel is how Dark bad it is <laughs> the wolfmores um, they live in the wolfmores and i i can honestly say having worked on it <laughs> not as much as Derek there was just never anything like it that i've ever read and i think so much of it is is really the amarak wolves and the way that it comes in plus the time period that it's it's sort like derek was saying it's sort of set like post ice age ish and so it's it's pretty survivalist in that world right it's 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 them against the elements and sometimes the animals are those elements and it's really fascinating
0: so if you could, would you live in this world, since you said it's very dog-eat-dog uh, dog world?
2: If I could be Astrid in a second. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but I live in the mountains in Montana, so I don't know. Like, probably not a lot of people would want to live there.
1: <laughs> you just need one of those uh, Russian bear dog things we
0: were talking yes. about.
2: Yes, I'll take that. If I have an Amarok wolf, I'll be fine.
1: Cocaine bear. Enough
0: plot armor. You can survive anything.
2: That's
0: true. That's very true. All right, man. Get us back
4: on only JR had any armor that
0: work no the army took it back when i got out but it had bullet holes in it so i don't know all right yeah, nick dx that. <laughs> that's which what tropes? supplies for they do the work
3: yeah they do the heavy lifting all right uh what tropes do you feel that uh spring for spears hits the best
1: i think we kind of talked about that already but just that um connection you know the, the the dragon rider trope or connection between a, a mythical creature and a and a person also just the themes of kind of things we talked about earlier you know rooting for the underdog and uh not a this is definitely not a chosen one story it's kind of a you know astrid isn't afraid to get down and fight and you know do what she needs to do to survive um yeah, so I think that kind of sums it up. A lot of those, you know, a really mythical wild world with that mythical creature companion connection, and just kind of exploring again. Like I said, we really scrape the, the just the tip of the iceberg and what's going on in this world and everything in this first book. And the, there's a lot of mystery and adventure.
0: Was that iceberg the tip of the iceberg reference? Callback to the uh, to the ice age. No, I mean, it works. So yeah, let's go yeah. with it. Happy accident. Happy accident. All right there, Bob Ross. All right, Doc. The next question is yours before we start talking about painting.
4: Uh, I know. You're not allowed to talk about painting. You're colorblind for a reason. Um,
0: (laughs) My mom hated me. Gave me bad genes. But anyway, ask question 30.
4: Anyways, can you tell us a little bit about Astrid, our main character?
2: Yeah. So Astrid is a girl that, is she 18 or? No, she's almost
1: Yeah, 17, 18.
2: She's somewhere in between. It's changed. That's why it's a movie. target. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm that's why Read I'm the here. book,
1: right? <laughs> I know, I
2: need to. Um, she, no, I'm, I meant I
1: everyone about, else, but.
2: What I love you too, about is
1: she's,
2: she's high gear and she's all heart, right? So she has this deep, deep desire that she has no control over. She She wants something that she can't forced to happen no matter how much she wants it, and no matter how much she wants to and through the course of the story she's really forced to reckon with this idea that life doesn't lay out the way it was planned and and sometimes if we can stop fighting ourselves and like accept what comes then better things await us she she's very much that wild child thrown into um (laughs) um she's very much that wild child like thrown into more refinement where she she lives out in the wolf moors she's trying to like bond with a wolf and she has, to, she has to go to this place where people eat with forks and you know all sorts of stuff. And she has, to, she has to learn a different way of life and it really challenges her. And her story, like her coming of age, her learning to let go and accept is, is really phenomenal. I think anyone at any stage of life can really lean into the emotions that Astrid has as she goes through all these adventures that she didn't ask for.
0: So she has to survive the salt spork. Okay, no fun. <laughs> Those
2: things are dangerous. They are. They should not be underestimated.
0: No, but are they as dangerous as the wolves? Well, you tell us, reader. After you, after you check this book out, <laughs> links will be in the show notes. All right, Doc. Now that I set that up, you get to ask question thirty-one because I'm, you know, I'm a team player.
4: So, what, like, what is your favorite secondary character out of this?
0: We're gonna let. I know go you. First There's always and-
4: secondary characters.
0: We're going to let Derek go because we haven't heard him talking in a while. I want to make sure his voice still works.
1: I'm still here. I'm just taking it all in. Um, (laughs) I'd be curious to know what Katie's answer is and see if we're on the same page, but mine's definitely Rosamund. She's a a princess of kind of a a different nationality, different nation that comes to visit at the start of the story. And she features throughout the books. Um, We have some plans for her in, in future books and, I think she she both she surprised kind of both of us in in the way the story ended um, and how we're planning to continue on her portion of the story or how she impacts Astrid's story in the future book. So she was one that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, she's she's meant to be surprising and maybe more than she seems in the book, and she certainly was also that as we were writing her and looking at the the next three books in the series.
2: I think okay. My favorite side character, it's um, Liss. Is she the one that doesn't talk? Right, yep. Yeah, so there's um, two Highland bards named Liss and Lara that are sisters, and Liss has never spoken. She did.
1: Katie just cut all of her dialogue out of the book.
2: I did. (laughs) Damn, that sounds so cold. So you have a moot
0: moot bard? A mute moot? I don't know. You have a bard that doesn't talk?
2: She was way more interesting when she, she, as a bard that didn't talk, Like, right? You already have questions. And to me, it was so clear. I was like, she's not supposed to talk. I think she does. I think she says something to Astrid, if I remember right. We break her one silence, but one, I think yeah. list has Liz has my curiosity.
0: Okay. So does your story, other than, like, obviously the, the universe itself is unkind in this. It's, it's almost its own adversary, man versus nature. But were there any other bad guys, without giving spoilers, that the uh, Astrid and company have to confront? There's a couple.
1: <laughs> there's a lot. Okay.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. There was a couple more, but she cut them in those thirty thousand words. <laughs> that's I think all the bad guys road. survived. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's Okay, but right. <laughs> okay. well, we don't all often get answers for for a world much like this because, like you said, we don't want spoilers, so we will <laughs> move on. So we know as authors, we tend to do horrible, evil, no good things to our characters. With that being said, if Astrid met you in a dark alley with her wolf. Uh, and she knew that you were Derek and Katie, the tormentor of her life, the destroyer of her dreams. How do you see that interaction playing out? No pressure, but
1: uh, maybe to set the stage, I would say that um, you know Astrid, even though she's s- small in stature, re- regardless of the wolf, I don't think I'd want to encounter an angry Astrid in a in a dark alley. And, and she might wanna try us on for size, I think. That's just kind of her nature. Whether we made her suffer or not, I think she'd be she'd wanna throw down.
2: Okay. Yeah, I don't think it would go well. <laughs> I, don't, I think I think she'd be upset for what she went through. Uh, she still hasn't she hasn't come all the way out the other side. She's still some growth, but by the end of the series, she'd probably be cool with us.
0: So are you gonna sneak some kibbles and bits in there to distract the wolf so you at least have a fighting chance?
2: The wolf steak. The wolf is
0: an elephant, you know, they are kind of big.
2: Mara, Mara the wolf, loves us. We're good to marry. Okay. Well, kind of okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> Mostly sort of. Ish. We ish carries a lot of weight in this oh, sense. Sure
2: I but I have three dogs, right? So we completely respect dog lovers and and we I yeah, like the rule is you never kill the dog, right?
0: <laughs> like, like, never kill that, the dog. So you don't no kill dogs or babies. The dog. <laughs> yeah, you don't kill dogs or babies. Apparently, my editor didn't like me for that. So. <laughs> you're just pushing yeah. that envelope, JR. I know. I, I, I'm not as cool as Katie. So apparently, you know, my, my editors aren't as nice as hers are. You don't have the they juice. Say, you need the juice. Yeah, they, they say the mean things to me. And with Katie, they're like, well, we really should do it this way. With me, they're like, yeah, you idiot. So it oh, works well, for I mean... me, though, so
2: that's the way that it works you like My that kind of not nice. yeah they're
0: not nice you're supposed yeah. to lie when you're on a podcast or you're talking about them no
2: yeah it gets but brutal katie's also so, so. <laughs> katie's also right.
1: so prolific that she's putting probably an army of editors get, putting their children through college so <laughs>
0: it's a little someone bit bought right? a yacht off of her editing fees it's i'm telling crazy. you with those one billion books all right nick <laughs> wow
3: all right. Since we talked uh, talk characters, do you have a favorite character archetype?
0: Can I go first, Katie?
2: Yeah, I like the wild child. Like, and and my my brand totally revolves around this, right? Astrid fit really well into it. On this was intentional. We created Astrid this way because my readers love it so much. Where you you have, it's like the feral woman, kind of the wild child, this the woman that's really kind of connected to nature and the outdoors. And is unconventional in the way she kind of shows up in the world, usually with like strength and not your typical ladylike presentation. I have characters that I love that are the opposite of that. But I think the archetype that I gravitate to and my readers search for the most, so I, I tend to try to satisfy that, is the the. Wild woman archetype, I guess it's your they
0: call it. your books have that very much. Uh, well behaved women rarely make history. Vibe going on to them.
2: Very what, much.
0: You, <laughs> yes. what do you think about that appeals to you so much specifically that that's a reoccurring theme for you?
2: Oh well, like the truth of it, right? Because <laughs> like, Katie okay. behaves so well is why I think I think I I and my readers are really drawn to this idea of doing things differently is the superpower. Right. So, so leaning into like yourself, your own power, the way you present in the world, the sincerity of it is, and, and owning that is, is something that I've always been drawn to this idea of, of being who I am and not what expectations are outside of me. And I think that wild woman archetype really embodies that. And you see it a lot in my writing because so many of my readers want that.
0: And I think, because you know, I've read your books, and I think one of the things that sets that apart is so many people, when they try to write strong women, they basically write dudes with lady body parts. And, and you don't. And, and I can see when you write combat scenes that like, even a petite woman could make that work because speed is its own has its own value in a fight, as Nick could tell you, on hand-to-hand. So that's why I, I was asking, because it's just, you don't see, it's not in vogue anymore to write it that way, to, to pretend there's a difference and, and to honor that instead.
2: Right. And even, like, I think something the wild woman archetype really has for her is cleverness, right? Yeah. Instead, of, instead of my women just being, like, female dudes, a lot of women are just really clever. We think about problems differently. We attack them differently through our minds. And we can be physically strong as well, right? So I, I love bringing that archetype into a fantasy world where there aren't cultural norms that we have to take over, I can put them into a different world and flush it out. And it's really fun.
0: And if you want to hear her go more on that topic, uh, there's a writing strong female characters is a fireside chat. I will link to that in the show notes. But uh, what about you? Do you have a favorite character archetype, Derek?
1: Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it before, but mine would be kind of the underdog, right? And there's a few different ways you write that. You know, we have Astrid, who's kind of a ball of fire and like Katie said, kind of a wild child. Then some of my other books feature kind of the reluctant hero that's also the underdog, right? Or just uh, the the character that's out of their element, but managed to manages to rise above the occasion. And you know whether that's answer the call or just discover stuff with, within themselves that they didn't know was there.
0: Okay, so is that that almost sounds like you're writing the everyman as your um, mm-hmm. like your style? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, for sure, he's very stupid. Okay, I I can think sometimes. I use my words.
3: (laughs) No, that's a good observation. This is
0: uh, this is where my actual English almost degree comes into play. So,
3: an English degree.
0: Yeah, I was a triple major before I deployed English history and poli sci with an emphasis on pre law. And then my advisor says that's not brave. That's not great. That's a failure to commit. And so when I got back from my first combat deployment, I had to narrow it down to one and I picked history because dead people don't argue with you.
4: I-, I can't
3: talk smack. I have an art degree.
4: So
0: that's valuable I can too. But I'll talk
4: I- back to both of you.
0: All right, Miss Chemistry. But uh, Nick, we're on question 36 before she makes us cry. Oh,
3: gosh. I don't have tear ducks anymore because of her. Finally, (laughs) what can you tell us about the universe? I mean, we talked about it a little bit. Um, In many series, the worlds where the story is told is uh, as much as a character as the protagonist or the antagonist. So uh, give us a little hint of what we can expect from this expansive world you've created post-Ice
2: Age. Derek, I think you should take this one. (laughs) You know the best.
1: I've been doing some world building for book two. So this is fresh, right? I I think it's, it's kind of a mixture of a few things, right? We have this definitely an untamed and savage portion of the world. And then you also have um, with, with uh, Rosamund and her, her nationality and culture kind of a tame the frontier mentality. Right. And it's not necessarily saying that one's better than the other. That's just kind of this clash of ideals that's going on. And then, a couple other nationalities that are represented, um, like Katie mentioned, the bards and lists. And there's just a lot of different viewpoints there. Um, a lot of rich mythology, again, that we were just kind of scratching
2: the surface on. Um, we have giants, right? There's like yeah. giants and some mountains. Um,
0: so with your giants, did you lean into, because in North America, there's some legends about some giants in the Pacific Northwest and in the, uh, in the desert area, a little bit farther south of that. So was that because you said you let uh, Derek? You said you let your your regional history and lore affect you. Was that part of it? Did you incorporate that in?
1: Um, we haven't got to them too much yet, but I, that's definitely uh, you know just the the sense of kind of explorers coming into a new place and hearing stories about the past and things that have happened. Um, one of our characters mentioned something about how you know things that are, are remembered kind of turn into. They go from history to legend to lore, and then they're kind of forgotten. So there's definitely those elements in there, uh, even if the giants kind of just had a a one-off line in this first book.
0: Readers are funny about that. Sometimes what you think is a one-off line that was just a transition from scene A to scene B becomes something that the readers really, really like. you're like, wait, I wrote that? What? Uh, so, so, you know, sometimes you just never know. And with Katie's tendency to actually listen to her audience, who knows, maybe the giants will get their own story someday. That's
2: exactly how my novels happen. They're like, you wrote this one line about this one person. Like, sure. We'll turn it into a book.
0: Uh, I actually wrote my whole first series because Tim Taylor listed, he counted wrong. So he said three when he meant two, which meant there was a whole missing city. And I wrote a whole series based on that one mistake in a typo. So like stuff happens.
2: Yep, it does.
0: That's um, true. So it says on the cover that's the uh, spring for steer spears. Ooh, that's a tongue twister. Your narrator is going to hate you. Uh, but it says it is part of a series. So what's next for these characters? Is it going to be a trilogy? Is it going to be uh, David Weber hundred book arc? <laughs> Your uh, face no, said it all, Katie. No, we're
2: not doing hundred book arc. I'm currently working on a ten book arc in my own world, and I was like this is this was big. We're doing four for Astrid. And we've already, we're already working on the second book The we sort of have like a general vague like plot for a third and we kind of know where fourth is ending so we can have, you know, the big bad build up over the whole series as they tackle the smaller and increasingly bad big bags throughout it because the story is only as good as its antagonist. Right. So we have enough that we know to kind of what we're building up to. And we had hoped to be launching the rest of the series in the season so spring for spear as we launched in the spring we're gonna do summer sword summer autumn for axes and what's the fourth one something oh, i like these titles wolf winner. wolf winner yeah, yeah so we're keeping the alliteration in the season strong um i i don't know whether that's going to happen or not i mean we're just about to go to summer which means my life gets significantly harder to plan <laughs> so um yeah. that's kind of what we're looking at
0: so you mentioned that the technology is very primitive with the exception of that fancy schmancy city where they have forks who does that. Uh, but what sort of magic can we expect? If any,
1: there's, there's kind of a combination we have um, without spoiling anything. There's uh, one character that shows off a definitely a different kind of magic that no one's in the, at least in the story or Astrid has experienced before. And we don't know a lot about in this first book. Then, just as far as the you know the bond with the the uh, with Astrid and her wolf, or just the the Skulvarg is the name of the people and their wolves. There, there's definitely a mythical element to it, but they don't necessarily or don't have an inherent magic powers just because of this bond. But there's also a lot of uh, nature magic uh, that's just kind of present in the world, that's around everywhere, that will feature more heavily in coming books.
0: So you mentioned the bond with the animal in some worlds where they have that kind of bond, it's almost like they can psychically speak to the creature. Is that something? And especially when dragons are involved, not that Katie would know anything about that, but is that something you played with, with the wolves? Are they able to like either empathically with emotions or actual full thoughts?
2: Yeah. So when they reach that bond with their wolf, then it's like the wolves don't have language, like a lot of times dragons or whatever will. But it's it's like an understanding, like they can. The, I, I'm gonna get all of the names wrong because the Skolvarg are the wolves, right? <laughs> like,
1: they're the they're the people. The
2: people the are the... the wolves, right? And the wolves are still the Amarrax, right? Yep. Okay. You um, survived
1: the, the threshing.
2: Yeah, the threshing happened after I was done with the story. And so I'm still, after I did the narration, it was, anyway, it was, it's been tricky. Uh, so the skolvar can kind of understand the feeling and the thought process of the Amarak almost as if, the, as if they're experiencing it together. Uh, but it's not like they have like language <laughs> where they're speaking to each other the way my dragons like speak to my witches but it's more of just that empathic sort of understanding so that when they're in battle together with their wolf, they can be really seamless. And that's something I'm really excited for us to explore. Like, how does this look in a battle?
0: So for this is a question for both of you. I know we're running short on time, but if you could have one of these wolves as a pet, obviously, I mean, your food bill would go up significantly, but if you could have one, would you?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, no question.
2: I mean literally no it's a carnivorous bison man like i don't like i have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and three dogs so
3: the cleanup would be massive <laughs>
1: cleanup, yeah, but i did not take cleanup, that into cleanup. account with my answer at all
2: that's see true. that's totally. because you're not a mom <laughs> yeah i like no i'm not letting that thing anywhere near my house if we're talking literally it's coming into my life theoretically yeah <laughs> But literally
0: no. it's
2: like I'm yeah. taking care of a carnivorous bison. Like, He's know, got a like... husband?
0: Just put him to work. All right. <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> <It's> all fun and <laughs> games till you have to pick up the poop. All right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> so really you obviously, yeah. I was thinking about too, shovel. but I was gonna. I
3: shovel. was gonna
0: try to keep it clean, Nick, and classy. Uh, ruin that one. <laughs> I am neither uh, so... one of
3: those things. You know this.
0: <laughs> this is true, but but we keep you around because we love you anyway. So you obviously have um, sort of. Creatures in this that are not of earth. So when you go about both of you creating these, you know, magical creatures, these fantastical creatures, do you let your nightmares inspire you? Do you use mother nature? Do you pull from myth, lore and legend? Do you make it up completely? Like, what is your guys's creative process when you made the creatures that inhabit this world?
1: I think it's kind of all of the above, right? We have, um, there's one scene earlier in the book that features a, a, definitely a different kind of creature that has some nightmare fuel associated with it. And they'll, they'll feature in, in future books. Um, you know, it, it, it's cool to have an apex predator and everything, but you've got to have something that, you know, threatens a wolf that's the size of a bison. So there's a, yeah, kind of all of the above, you know, mythology, different mythologies, uh, some video games went into some of my thoughts for some of our other creatures and yeah, a little bit of everything.
2: I think, That's one of the, you, go ahead. No, I was just say, I think in our process of doing it, a lot of it was, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm here to serve the reader. Right. So it's like, how do we provide something new and fun and exciting, but also scary for the reader to experience and how does it serve the story? And, and a lot of it was just, we made stuff up. Derek had some really phenomenal ideas. It was really fun. And it, it happened in layers.
0: Okay. So you feel like your ideas bounced off of each other and the end result was something cooler? I think oh, so. Yeah. So I know that's one of the things you see especially anybody that knows anything about animals is where they where readers lose the the immersion. If you've got a horse and you never stop to deal with the shoes or to feed it or wonder how a peasant who can't barely feed himself is somehow caring for this large animal and feeding it, like those kinds of things are considerations that if you don't put it into that, like you, you lost me on the rest of it because what else did you not think through? Right. So I, I like that you guys covered like, okay, this thing is massive. How are we going to feed it?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What was it they said, uh, Nick, was that uh, armies crawl on their belly? You know, yeah. that's the, the logistics matter.
4: on their stomach.
0: I, I haven't listened to the short man Napoleon in a while. All right? Jeez. <laughs> uh, with that being said, this interview is clearly winding down. We had way too much fun and went way too far off the beaten path. And I think the interview was awesome because of it. But was there anything we didn't ask about a spring for Spears uh, that, that you wanted to tell us about before we move on?
2: No, I think we covered all the good stuff.
0: Yeah, just... so uh... obviously-
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah! Check it out. It's in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And I, I think we've danced around this. I don't think we've mentioned this, but Katie also narrated it. So yeah,
0: there's that
2: too. Jr. Tried some bad jokes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did, but you know, thanks for calling me out again, Katie. Jeez. No
2: problem. I'm here anytime. So uh, I mean, well. make your jokes better, Jr.
0: Oof, so, so we've been podcasting together since like 2017, and you automatically are siding with Katie. I see how it is. 400 episodes meant nothing to you, Doc.
2: For sure. <laughs>
0: <Jeez>. I mean,
4: <laughs> they meant something, but that may not be appropriate to share on air. <laughs> Therapy bills. You all know, right, all
0: right. So my this liver. is. A- So before I give into my, well, so this is the part of the interview, dear listener, where we remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. With that being said, normally we send them to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or BookBub or all the places to review, but you guys are selling on your website too. Do your websites have the capacity for people to leave a review there?
2: Mine does, but I don't know if Derek has set that up yet.
1: I don't think I have product reviews set up, but the, the even if you buy it from our website, um, you know, you can obviously go on Goodreads or your favorite or loath retailer, wh- whichever it is, and drop a kind re- review
0: there too.
2: I'll shoot Derek how to set it up. It's super easy
0: out out freaking standing so the uh the reviews really do help people we had a whole podcast about it in season two yeah it was last year uh so they they do help they help other readers know you know if it's up their alley or not so so they really do help and if you want to be really ambitious start a website and write your reviews there make them really detailed everyone loves it a couple thousand words what do you got to lose and uh maybe you'll even get free books because authors will beg you to write them uh it's, it's a thing people all right. With that being said, Derek Allen Sitaway, uh, was it better this time? I, I tried to speed it up a little bit.
1: There, yep, nailed it. It didn't sound like you were sounding it out.
0: Okay, perfect, perfect. How can listeners and viewers find you on the wild, wild interwebs? And as usual, it will be in the show notes.
1: Perfect. So yeah, go to Um, If you want a shorter version, you can also just go to DSIDD.com. It goes to the same place and it's easier to say. And you can find a link to my online author store where we have all our books available, including Spring for Spears. And yeah, love to hear from you.
0: Out freaking standing. And Katie, last but not least, even though you made fun of me, uh, can you tell us how listeners can find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs?
2: Yes. Go to katiecrossbooks.com. We got all my books there. You can send me a message. You can look at some fantasy maps. It's a good time.
0: And what she didn't tell you, because she's super humble, is the uh, commercial, the sponsor, Flame. You could buy it from her website, or you could sign up for a newsletter and get a free copy. And who doesn't love free? Oh, really? and, uh, and and Derek didn't tell you this, but you can sign up for his newsletter, too. Authors like it when you do that crap.
2: Yeah. When we, get to we hear love from it. It. All
0: right. All right. So you can find us cause doc's going to put it up on the little screen at the bottom, but you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. I promise I answer the emails except for the hate mail. I make doc read those. Uh, you can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, Backslash groups Backslash Blasters and Blades podcast We also have a page Over there uh, In addition to the group But Doc has been sleeping So she hasn't given it It's dedicated URL So you have to type in Blasters and Blades podcast uh, Into the search bar And it'll give you that option We have a website where all the cool things happen over at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tacky and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. where as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on. These podcasts aren't free, people. And uh, yeah, we like to keep Doc and Nick and coffee so I can put them to work. They get real cranky if I don't give them caffeine Uh, or... The, the important one, you could support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co hosts Doc Saska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink the coffee until their liver explodes. Doc, you're supposed yeah. to say your part now. Never surrender. Never quit. She passed
3: it on to me. I get both her questions and her lines today. I feel special in the academy. Ah, oh,
0: freaking standing.
4: Sorry, I'm just tired.
0: You get all an right, excuse. We ran late. Thank you for
4: are, spending
3: are you us gonna... some of your precious time with us. Uh, for J.R. Hanley and Doc, uh, I'm Nick Garber, and we'll be back next week with this at the same time, where we'll indulge our love of the nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.
0: Before I hit the go button, can we just get a little round of applause for Nick? That was amazing. You did it on the fly. Well done. What Take I a do. bow. What I do. You earned. You earned that ranger tab today, sir. <laughs> yeah.